0: The food puzzles can land wherever they get rolled. They can eat at three in the morning in the home office if they want to, because they're foraging wherever that toy ended up or wherever you placed that stationary food puzzle. Because we have to remember that they're they're not family style eaters. You know, we want to go to a big Italian restaurant and have a dinner with our family, and the cats want to go through the drive-through and eat in their car in a parking lot.
1: Welcome to the Call the Vet Show, the podcast that helps pet parents understand and optimize the health of their furry family so they can live the full and happy life you want for them. And here's your host, veterinarian Dr. Alex Avery.
2: Hello, my champion pet parents. I hope you're doing well. Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Call the Vet show. If you've not met before, then my name is Dr Alex. I'm a veterinarian in companion animal practice, probably in the other side of the world to you, in New Zealand. And my aim here on this show is to really help you understand and optimise your pet's health so that they can live the life you want for them and it's not as difficult as you might think to keep them as happy and healthy as possible and that's really what my mission here is all about, to share my knowledge, my experience as a practising veterinarian with you and to bring you my expert guests who share a wealth of different information about all different aspects of pet care to ensure that their physics fit but also mentally fit and that mental fitness is kind of the big focus for today for our cats specifically. We spoke to Doggy Dan a few episodes back which was talking about the mental wellness of our dogs and today it's our cat's turn and so today we're talking to Ingrid Johnson who is a cat behaviour consultant extraordinaire. She is incredibly passionate about this topic and she dropped some absolute knowledge bombs and things that will I imagine, revolutionise the way that you are going to care for your cat. There's certainly big changes that I need to make in my cat's life to make sure that they are as happy as possible, and there is a little bit of friction in my house between our two cats, and I think um, some of the changes that we'll make and that will be discussed are going to help my cats deal with that, and I know that that's a common problem that many people have when there is more than one cat living in the household. But before we get into that, I hope that you've been keeping well wherever it is that you are, that you've been surviving the hot weather. Uh, If you're in the northern hemisphere, I know there's been unprecedented heat waves and I hope you and your furry family members are staying safe and well at what can be very challenging uh, temperatures and and they can actually be really life-threatening. Ironically, here in New Zealand, it's winter, uh, so we're pretty cold. There's a thick frost on the ground today, and we actually just in our first week back from school holidays. So in New Zealand, we have four four school terms in the year, and there's a couple of weeks holiday between the two. So uh, we took that opportunity to have a week off, um, went on holiday, had a few days skiing, which was really fantastic. Uh, the kids haven't really done a huge amount before, but they got on really well, and I enjoyed getting back on the slopes after what's been a break of yeah probably kind of four five six years so no broken bones which was always a a bonus and yeah we had a great time so feeling refreshed back raring to go and today's episode is an absolute cracker to get stuck back into so without further ado i hope you enjoyed today's show here's the fantastic ingrid johnson
1: here's this episode's expert interview
2: Ingrid, welcome along to the show. Really pleased to be talking to you today.
0: Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting.
2: Well, I'm very excited. And this is a topic, a hot topic that has been kind of requested for me after um, one of the previous podcasts about dog behavior. People were really dying to know about cat behavior and how their needs differ from dogs, uh, because I think it's something that's often not thought about as much as it should be. Or, you know, we thought, well, cats are small dogs, which is completely untrue. Um, But you know, diving back into to your past, what kind of really got you interested in the world of the cats and, and cat behavior specifically?
0: Well, you know, it, of course, the typical answer comes up of I always loved animals, you know, that everyone starts off with that. But um, I actually graduated from art school, and I was trying to trap a cat the same week. And as I bring the cat up to get spayed, the veterinarian asked me if I wanted a job. And I was like, I've always wanted to work in a vet clinic and here I am, you know, my family's like, why am I paying these student loans? So I got a job at a cat only vet clinic and I was always much more fascinated with why do they do what they do rather than why does that organ function that way? <laughs> I always felt a little more tangible to me coming into the field, you know, not having gone to vet school. And um, so, yeah, so I just gravitated towards behavior and I was very fortunate to work for a veterinarian that sent me to uh, veterinary conferences and behavior conferences exclusively. So I really got to dive in.
2: Well, that's fantastic. And that's pretty um, forward thinking from the veterinarian's point of view, because often it's the vets who get that education and not necessarily, you know, their other staff. Exactly. Um, So you... Yeah, so you've kind of dived deep into this world of of behaviour then, because as well as working in the the vet clinic, you're a registered behaviour specialist and you do a whole kind of line of things there. Kind of going back to why why we're talking, I guess, you know, cats, we often, you know, they're characterised, you know, across all kind of media and cartoons and everything as being a bit maybe aloof or, you know, they're loners, they like to do their own thing or they just, you know, curl up in front of the fire on the sofa and don't really want to interact with us. But that's probably not really a very fair characterization is it
0: it's not it's not they get such a second class citizenship when it comes to that you know and i mean of course they they can have very independent qualities but you know when a cat does things like bring you a a ball or a a little you know toy they're oh they're just like a dog no they're just like a cat doing cool cat stuff and that's, I think, what we need to remember is that we, we don't have to stop um, comparing them to dogs and, and you know, trying to, to judge them based against dogs. Um, they have their own repertoire of behaviors and activities that they like to engage in. And both species can do some similar things, like be trained, for example, and walk on a leash and come when called and sit and high five. And I think we just have to elevate our expectation of the cats and start um training them into doing these types of behaviors from a young age and and stop just assuming oh well, we've got a kitten we'll just give it a cat condo and a litter box and we're good
2: yeah yeah and that training from a young age I guess is really important because we think again i mean i, I don't want to keep going back to dogs because um, this is a cat show but um you know we think about socialization being so important with our dogs but we don't even give that a second thought for cats and i just think of cats coming into the clinic to see me by the time they get to me they are super stressed they've been shoved in this cage that's foreign to them they've gone in a car that they never go in um, and now they're being poked and prodded by a stranger which happens only you know once a year every few years for vaccinations or when they're feeling like rubbish you know whereas if we took the effort to socialize them from that early age that hey this crate is a good place to be hey we'll go in the car and it's not too bad and hey, the vet's pretty good as well. They can get treats and, and things, then they'd be, yeah, life would be a lot easier, wouldn't it?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and at our clinic, most of us are Fear Free certified and we've been doing Fear Free since before Fear Free was cool and had a name. And, you know, we don't start an appointment without a, a can of Hills AD or Royal Canin Recovery. We bribe them and, and give them food rewards and you, you got to pay these guys. You know, we can't expect all these behaviors for free. Got to find their currency, And then once we find their currency, we use it and we can teach them all kinds of great stuff.
2: Cool. And so what other things should people be exposing their cats to then when they're they're young kittens or when they're first coming into the house?
0: Well, I think one point that I really want to drive home is that I always recommend adopting in pairs. I always recommend adopting two kittens so you get a more socially normal cat that knows how to cat. Because ultimately, you get that one kitten, you fall in love, and a year later you want another cat. Well, that usually goes over quite poorly. (laughs) And um, yes, then we have the poorly socialized only child, which I jokingly refer to as Tarzan syndrome, (laughs) because I think it's a relatable term. Um, So I highly recommend adopting in pairs. But let's, you know, let's go ahead and start with these, these, whether it's a kitten or an adult cat, you know, so many people want to hide that litter box, get a nice, big, super clean, keep it, keep it super clean litter box. You can put it anywhere in your home and you should have multiples of them. And we've got to play with these guys. We play with them when they're kittens because it's funny and entertaining. But we also forget that adult cats and seniors and geriatrics also need opportunities to hunt and kill and stalk and chase. The play style is different and the humans are not necessarily as entertained, hence why we tend to back off, but it's still important for them.
2: So what what kind of games can we play with them at their different stages in life to stimulate those because i think people will probably you know the kitten is just super um motivated to to play with anything they're just you know they're set up for play but maybe that old um you know feather on a fishing rod kind of toy wears a little bit thin by the time you've been playing with it for 10 years so yeah what kind of what kind of things could people be doing
0: so, yes, yeah, so absolutely. You're right. You've got kittens. Uh, you got six of them. They'll dive bomb a feather at one time. But I think a really important point is that adult cats hunt and eat alone. And so play is often um, it's an extension of the hunt in the home. And we have to uh, appeal to the fact that we may have to offer individual play sessions for individual cats because it's not a group activity. Um, and we've got to change up the prey. You can even change up the prey within a play session. You might start off with feathers on a stick, but you might end with a plain piece of cotton string and it's okay to, to rotate through the toys. You've got to keep it exciting. And another big mistake I see in a lot of homes is leaving the toys out. So when you're done, that feather on a stick is just laying around the living room floor dead for three weeks. (laughs) There is no motivation to chase that when you pick that back up again. So out of sight, out of mind for both safety and novelty Um, for seniors, I also like to, um, try to engage them in a lot of scent enrichment because if they're not quite as active, they usually can get a good buzz with some, you know, silver vine, valerian, um, tartarian honeysuckle, or of course, good old fashioned catnip. So I like to give them a little something like that to do. And I'm also a really big proponent of, um, bringing the outdoors in. So seasonal enrichments leaves and pine straw and sticks and pine cones and snow and whatever you get an opportunity to to have let your indoor cats if they are indoor only experience some of the seasons by bringing it to them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you can I guess open, you know, open windows, you know, if you've got a screen on them especially and and you know, have catios and all that kind of thing as well to try and give them a bit of that outdoor experience too.
0: Absolutely. Leash and harnesses and I am the crazy lady in my uh, neighborhood with Cat strollers. We have two of them. And I feel quite confident walking down the street with my hundred-pound dog. I don't think I look at that nuts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well well we've had um yeah, we've had um Kevin and laylee from a company called SuperKit who manufacture harnesses and, and um collars for cats and and yeah, they spoke passionately about yeah, popping cats on on harnesses and how, you know, that is such a valuable thing and how the cats love it but they also explore their their um, environment in a very different way to to dogs as well which i guess goes back to you know that hunting alone and um all all that kind of thing so if we're if we're not providing these stimulations for our cats what are the biggest kind of behavioral impacts that that you see um you know most commonly in your patients
0: well as I've, i've repeated a bazillion times is boredom and frustration and environmental stress are the leading causes of behavior problems in cats and Most commonly we'll see aggression, intercat aggression. You know, they're frustrated, they're, they're meal fed, they're limited and they've got nothing to do. They're going to beat each other up. Um, they got to take it out on someone grooming off all of their hair, eliminating outside the box, attention seeking behaviors. You know, the cat that knocks the the coffee mug off the counter, pick it back up. It's off again. It's the best game they have. (laughs) It's the only thing they've got to do. And it's kind of like, watch the stupid human pick this up. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, they're going to get it and give it back to me. And I'm going to do it again. Yeah. And we just keep feeding the behavior. It's amazing how we seem to think they can't be trained, but yet they train us so, so well. And uh, we we get them to, to repeat these behaviors that we don't want them to do all the time. So um, I think that that's another big takeaway message here is that we've got to remember to reward, the things that we like to see in our cats and dogs um and you don't want to feed the behaviors you want to ignore the behaviors you don't like stop reinforcing them
2: yeah and the and the impact of those you know those problem behaviors i mean especially um elimination outside of the the box um spraying uh hugely impactful on the relationship that people have with their cats and it's my understanding that that's actually one of the biggest causes of euthanasia in you know otherwise healthy um healthy cats so the impact is yeah definitely not to be ignored
0: Absolutely, and quite honestly, most of the time it's all the humans' fault.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it is completely, isn't it? Because we're not providing their needs. We're, you know, there's there's twenty cats in the house that aren't being stimulated. They're they're super stressed and
0: three litter boxes. Yeah, you know,
2: yeah, yeah. If they're like... <laughs>
0: through a cat door yeah. in the basement next to the furnace. Yeah. That's scooped once a week. Yeah,
2: so that's a good point. So, we, I mean, you've already said m- multiple litter boxes, but we should be thinking about, um, you know, feed, and we'll go into different feeding strategies. But if we're feeding out a bowl, we need multiple bowls and and all in different places. So what kind of, um, yeah, how, how many and, and where should people be putting them?
0: Yeah, so um, with, with litter boxes, just to touch on that, it, it I really should rephrase that. It's one more litter box location than you have physical cats. So we have to remember if we've got 10 boxes in a room, that's just one giant litter box to the cats so we need to remember that we've got to spread this stuff out throughout the home keep it aesthetically pleasing so that you can do so keep it super clean and scooped and you'll never have an odor problem but then with the feeding uh, same thing you we know, we really we line these cats up in the kitchen to eat and there's nothing could be more stressful and everyone's response to me is well they always eat Well, of course they do. It's the highest value resource you're offering them. They don't have to use the litter box and they don't really have to drink much water, but they're going to push through that stress and they're going to eat. But that doesn't mean they're happy about it. So they really should be set up to where they can eat without even being in the same vicinity, not even be able to see another housemate. Um, But of course, I'm a very big proponent of feeding via food puzzle toys, and they should be just heathered throughout the home environment the food puzzles can land wherever they get rolled. They can eat at three in the morning in the home office if they want to, because they're foraging wherever that toy ended up or wherever you placed that stationary food puzzle, because we have to remember that they're, they're not family style eaters. You know, we want to go to a big Italian restaurant and have a dinner with our family and the cats want to go through the drive through and eat in their car in a parking lot.
2: <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> um, so they so that food puzzles. So, so let's talk more about that. So, um, you know, we're not wanting to just feed in a bowl. We're wanting to, I guess the puzzles, as well as providing that mental stimulation, it's providing there for their drive to, to hunt and stalk and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I would imagine
0: it, it introduces a concept of positive frustration where they're, they're presented with a problem, but as soon as they solve the problem, they're very freely rewarded with food. So it becomes very self-fulfilling to continue to do the behavior. And, but, but with cats, the key is Novelty. They are not going to work for food that you've been giving them for free in a bowl for the last five years. They are smart enough to make that distinction. You go to a restaurant and you get lobster in the shell and a lobster shelled for you with a dish of butter next to it. What are you going to take the first bite of? Your cats are not going to work for food that's been free. So putting novel food in the puzzles is key to driving the behavior. And I am a very big proponent of, of course, if they like canned food, that they get a lot of canned food because they are hyper carnivores. We've got to appeal to that. Some cats don't like canned food. We can't force it. A lot of people that are very fanatical about diets right now—it's—it's it's, you know probably one of the biggest hurdles in veterinary medicine. One of the biggest um, battles with Doctor Google we have. Um, some cats just like dry food, and it's okay. Kibble doesn't kill cats.
2: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, yeah. I <laughs> but, mean, you could get into that <laughs> for a long time, couldn't yeah, we? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess I—I I mean, I—I I, well, like, there's something that I say to to my clients, but I also kind of advocate having that variety so we talked you know at the beginning about exposing and socialization and all that kind of thing i I like to say well let's try and give them lots of different things for the and the benefit there in my mind is so that if we do need to change their diet and and we would rather that they had a wet diet because of something that they have developed independent from eating a dry food then they're more likely to have that because it's not kind of completely alien to them and they've not become kibble junkies absolutely
0: yeah, I agree. I agree. Especially with kittens, you know, so many cats won't, that don't eat canned food just weren't exposed to it when they were babies. So they just, they're like, what's that? So give them pate, give them chunks, give them morsels, give them large kibble, give them small kibble. They've got to get used to all these different shapes and textures so that they are, have a, have a diverse yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And and then with the food puzzles, um, I do I, cats eat nine to 16 small meals a day. So we've got to appeal to that frequent tiny little meals and, and, Meal feeding them twice a day leads to a lot of vomiting and stress and lack of control. And cats like the ability to control access to their basic needs. When we take that control away, we we make them more stressed out. So if we just allow them to free feed, but with effort, it's kind of the happy medium between a big trough and 32 pounds and diabetic (laughs) and Skinny and frustrated and bald because we've groomed off all our hair because we only get fed twice a day. Yeah. So it's it's the balance to me.
2: Okay. And with – so food toys, what kind of different food toys are, are there? I mean, I certainly know I, I've used the balls with – Holes in them, there's the kind of slow feeder kind of things with the fingers. Um, yeah, what kind of different things? And do we need to be kind of staging them? And that if we've never used food toys before, you know, we don't want to be going for the the hardest puzzle, presumably.
0: Absolutely. Oh boy, so I could talk about this the whole rest of the time, so you're gonna have to stop me. Um so you wanna start with an object that is clear round and has multiple holes for the food to dispense from. It's got to be easy in the beginning. You really kind of want it gushing with food. Um, And they might even eat too much and later vomit. It's entirely possible because they're just figuring out the game and getting very freely rewarded. So once they've got the hang of that, then you dial it down. Then you go to maybe two holes in the toy, maybe one hole. Then the toy becomes opaque. Then maybe yeah, rolls a little erratically. Maybe it's nubby and bumpy and doesn't roll very well at all. Eventually, we make our way to a cube-shaped object. Now, I'm speaking all of what are called rolling puzzles, puzzles that they're going to push around with their paws or muzzle to get the food to dispense. But then we also have what are called stationary puzzles where they stay stagnant, so you like game board for cats, and they reach in with their paws and pull out the kibble. And those as a whole, I do find are easier. Uh, They're great for seniors. They're great for handicapped cats. They're great for slow starters. And they're also just fun for just a little novel game. But in my household of masterful foragers that my cats have very proudly not had had bowls of dry food in 15 years. And I have had paralyzed and three legged and blind and you name it. They work for their meals despite their handicap. So, um, The foraging for the stationary toys, I kind of just sprinkle a little dust of kibble on there. When it's empty, it's empty. It's just for novelty and for fun in our house. Just different brain game, you know. Um, So I, as far as preference of puzzles, I have zero preference. I like them to have tons. I have no proof that they need a different puzzle every day. But because I think cats are so incredibly intelligent, I know that they are. Without a study, it's anecdotal. I will say that they need novelty just to keep it fun. I wouldn't want to do the same crossword every day. No,
2: and we've talked about rotating toys, so why wouldn't the uh, food puzzles be the same? Exactly. Yeah.
0: New challenges. So I have I have a food puzzle addiction problem, and <laughs> I should probably not disclose that I have probably about 150 rolling toys and maybe about 50 stationary toys, but it's, it's an addiction. Oh, this might be a good time for me to give a shout out to foodpuzzlesforcats.com is a website that I co-host with a colleague. It complements the paper that we um, wrote and was published in the Journal of Feline Medicine and Surgery in fall of 2016. And that website is a rabbit hole of cute, fun things. We sell nothing on there. It's just a free resource for clients, staff, whoever needs it. Yeah. Lots of free help and a DIY page.
2: Cool. But you do produce um, food puzzles as well, don't you, for those people who who would want to go, hey, I don't have time to DIY
0: yeah absolutely and i'm i'm working on soon being able to ship internationally i'm hoping by fall i have that up and running so i do make my own line of food puzzles that are available on my website fundamentally and um i it's a labor of love i mean i literally hand make every single one of them on my deck cool <laughs> it's exhausting <laughs>
2: Oh it's good to it's good to have a hobby. <laughs> it's better than better than screen time and I'm um, spending a lot of time in front of the computer which I tend to do so. It's
0: a good way to spend some time outside and you know have the cats have some supervised fun in the yard in their harnesses. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Cool. <laughs> um and so like switching from from toys then to the cat's environment. So we've spoken about you know the enrichment and bringing outside in. But the cat's actual environment, they, they live in a 3D world and I think often they're relegated to, you know, as high as they get is the sofa um, and, yeah, they can't really explore. Um, so how can we make their home environment a bit more of an interesting place to to explore and to play and, um, yeah, to, to live?
0: Yeah. And I love that you just mentioned the 3D world, because one of the one of the concepts that I try to drive home is that they're actually one of the most three dimensional species we do share our homes with. And I mean, of all domestic animals, they really need the ability to climb. And um, so vertical space is huge. And it doesn't matter if you have a 4000 square foot home or a teeny tiny apartment in the city. Vertical space is important for your cat. It provides comfort. It provides security. Um, it can be a nice feeding station up high. And in a multi-cat household, it also um, helps achieve successful avoidance. So if they are having conflict, it allows them to get up and away from each other. Um, the difference between vertical space, true vertical space and cat condos is that cat condos are limiting. You know, they, they take up a footprint on the floor and, and that's, that's all they have. And that's fine. I mean, that's great. You should have those. But I really like to see cat walks, stuff that goes from one wall to the other wall. They can circumvent the whole room without ever having to touch the floor. And it doesn't always have to be all cat furniture. You can incorporate your dresser or an armoire or the back of the sofa. You know, you can get creative and incorporate the human furniture if you're comfortable with them walking across the mantel. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then they hop up onto one of their cat shelves. So you can really make it um, a very three-dimensional world for them. And um, But you do have some kitties that They do like to be down and they like to be in a cubby and they want to be in a nook and a cranny and they're more of a hider. And it's really important that we appeal to both of those personalities and we give them um, little, little cubby holes to hide in. I personally really love a modern decor, but the more stark and crisp and clean and no place to go, the environment feels the more stressful it usually is for the cats, particularly if they're timid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they, they like the, the hoarder house with stacks of magazines. They got, (laughs) got places to hide.
2: Yeah. But having those, having those kind of safe spaces, it's kind of important that they have access to those all the time that you don't want their safe space to be in a room that you shut the door when guests are here or, you know, something like that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. If guests come to my home, they know the cats come first or they can stay at a hotel.
2: (laughs) It's good to have that expectation (laughs) as soon as they get in, isn't it?
0: Oh, yes. They're very aware. The doors stay open because there's litter boxes, food and food puzzles in their room. And the cats that like to use that room have to be able to access it. So got to keep the door cracked
2: so ingrid this has been a great conversation is there anything else that we've not really covered that um kind of that 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 we should have done or questions that i haven't asked that i should have done
0: oh i could i could talk to you for hours about all of these things so i i can't think of anything at the moment that we've got to talk about but yeah i think we covered some good topics
2: cool but for people who want to dive into kind of more about you and more information about you um yeah we've fundamentally feline.com is kind of your home but you've got Lots of other places on social media and things as well, don't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm on all the majors, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So feel free to check those out. All at Fundamentally Feline is the handle. And um, yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. If anyone ever wants to pop me an email or what have you, I'm happy to be there for them. And I offer consults worldwide, so I can certainly uh, help any of your listeners if they have any questions.
2: And I guess that's one thing maybe we should say is that, you know, there are, we do get behaviour problems, um, you know, even with the best will in the world. But jumping on, recognising them in the first instance and and then jumping on them sooner rather than later. Yes. um, Means that you're going to be much more likely to get a successful, successful outcome.
0: Preventative care consults are my favourite. If people just want to learn how to be the best cat parent they can be, learn how to train, learn how to set up their home we can get ahead of it. We don't have to wait till there's a problem. And um, something else kind of unique that I offer that I started offering during COVID um, 2020 is medicating consultations. um, So that I do a a live Zoom call with families and demonstrate with my own cats on how to train the cats to take meds before they need meds. Perfect. That's the key.
2: Yeah. I guess with everything, prevention is far better than battling and and treating yes. and curing so yeah a little bit of forethought that, that that's a fantastic idea and i hope i um, a lot of people take you up on those because it's a big cause of stress and it can limit our ability to treat our patients as well if they you know they're just not able to be medicated so that's you know something that we don't think about until it happens a lot of the time
0: you're right You're right, getting ahead of it's key. Yeah,
2: well, fantastic, Ingrid. Thank you so much for your time today. We will have to have another chat about some common problems, um, problem behaviours that we see. Um, But yeah, this has been great. All all of the links will be left in the the show notes. Um, Yeah, and take care, Ingrid. Until next time.
1: All right, thank you so much. Have a good day. Helping your pet live the happy, healthy life they deserve.
2: (coughs) So chuck those food bowls away, get those high spaces accessible to your cat. I'd love to hear what changes you're going to make to your cat's care as a result of listening to Ingrid's advice and our discussion today. The best place to get me is on Instagram where you can find me at OurPetsHealth. Uh, you can also check out all of the links and other resources mentioned and check out more about Ingrid over at CallTheVet.org. So make sure you check those out. And all that's left for me to say is to make sure you hit that follow or subscribe button on whichever podcasting app you're listening to so you don't miss out on all of my future episodes which some of which are just me kind of sharing my experience and deep diving into certain medical conditions that your pets might suffer from and others are just like today where I talk to some fantastic incredibly knowledgeable and very passionate people about their expertise in the world of pet care so make sure you do that I'd love to hear from you and until next time I'm Dr Alex This is the Call the Vet Show because they're family.
1: That's it for this episode of the Call the Vet Show. Be sure to visit callthevet.org to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We'll see you next time.